The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. I said, Mark, if you could say anything at King's Cross Church, what would you say? As a church plant that's just starting out, and he said, keep your daily relationship and joy in Jesus a priority. Yes, planting is hard, but prioritize joy in Jesus. Because that's the hard thing about doing anything when we talk about doing mission work or doing evangelism or anything. We start getting kind of focused on there's a lot to do. There's people who don't know Jesus. There's a lot of activities to do. There's a lot of things to plan. Look at all the things that we haven't done. Look at the things that we need to do. And those are the occasional things we have done, right? (laughs) That we've done successfully. We can get very kind of focused on the to-do list. There's a to-do list in Luke chapter 10 that Jesus gives them. Um... But as we look at Luke chapter 10, I think amidst all the excitement in the doing of mission work, of ministry, of church planting, as Jesus might call it, yes, there's a lot of mission going on, um, but there is at the heart of Luke chapter 10 a call to delight in the God of mission, right? There is, uh, there's a lot going on, Uh, there's a lot to be done. And there's a lot uh, that could be done, but in the middle of that, Jesus is calling us to be happy in God and to be satisfied or to delight in the God of mission. So let me just give you an overview of Luke chapter 10, and then we're going to kind of break it up in three parts. Is, everybody, is anybody hot in here? I'm hot. You guys hot? I just wanted to check. Drew, can we see if we can turn the AC on? Because I, I, it seems like it's, maybe it's just me and my flannel shirt, but... <laughs> I just want to make sure we're not going to go into like a, a heat coma here by the end of the service. So, um, Luke chapter 10, right? So Luke chapter 10, which is, here's an overview of the chapter, right? Jesus says, okay, uh, all my disciples, I'm going to send out 72 of you and you guys are going to go out and do lots of cool things. And then, and then they all go out. They do exactly what Jesus said. They go out on mission. They go from town to town and telling them, Jesus coming, Jesus coming, Jesus coming. They come back and they say, Jesus, check it out. It was awesome. Like demons flew away from us. Like people got healed and it exa- happened exactly like you said. And Jesus says, okay, no joke. That's not a big deal. Here's the, here's the big deal. Um, I saw Satan fall from heaven and your names are written in the book of life. Okay. And then from there, Jesus starts getting in this conversation with this lawyer who's like, well, listen, um, I see you guys doing all this stuff out in the neighborhood, uh, but who's, who's my neighbor? right? What does it mean to inherit eternal life? Jay read for us Jesus' parable. He says, well, basically, um, anybody who lives right next to you, that's your neighbor, um, regardless of who they are, skin color, political affiliation, that's your neighbor. And then the story, Luke chapter 10 ends with uh, uh, living room meal time, and they're hanging out, and Martha is all flustered because Mary's not helping out, and Mary's all excited because Jesus is there and she's listening to Jesus. So that's the entire chapter of Luke chapter 10, right? It's like, wow, there's a, there's a lot going down. There's actually a lot of famous stories from Luke chapter 10. But I think what we're going to do is we're going to look at the, uh, this parable of the Good Samaritan here at the end of Luke chapter 10. And that's going to kind of be a bit of the key to unlock the rest of the chapter for us. Because there's a lot going down in Luke chapter 10, but I think that the parable of the Good Samaritan gives us a bit of a key to unlock how do we put all this together. Um, you guys cool with that? So we're going to look at Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25 
we're starting out by delighting in knowing God. So here is the lawyer. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he, that's Jesus, he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Right, the, the fascinating thing to kind of start out with, and we, when we talked about this and when we were looking at the Ten Commandments is, um, Jesus says, what does it mean to inherit, the, the guy asks, what does it mean to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, what does that mean to you? The guy says, well, it's to know God and to love, each, love other people. And Jesus says, you got it, go and do that. <laughs> Which is not exactly how I would have expected him to respond, right? I would have expected Jesus to have said something like, um, well, you need to repent or you're going to perish, you know, or some sort of call to repentance. The guy just says, look, uh, it means to love God and to love other people. And Jesus says, uh, that's kind of the idea. Right, the chapter, to begin to kind of understand what exactly is going on, because it's a bit of a confusing interaction here, right? So let's look back uh, at the beginning of Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 starts out with Jesus sending out his disciples. Look at Luke chapter 10. After the Lord appointed the 72 others and sent them out on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. So you see, here is Jesus going out. He's pursuing other people and he's sending the 72 ahead of him. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Right? So the beginning of Luke chapter 10 is basically saying um, God is going out to seek people who don't know him or love him or want him. Um, and he's sending 72 of his disciples out to go ahead of him. Now, you could kind of look at that 72 and be like, that's an odd number. Like, um, does that, what does that mean? Or does that have any meaning? Or why, why 72? Because it's like, I don't know, like, why not 74? Why not 65? <laughs> There's a lot of numbers Jesus could have chosen, but he chose 72. The reason Jesus chooses 72 is that if you go back in the book of Genesis, chapter 10, there are, after Noah you know, comes out of the waters, saves everybody, there are 72 nations that are listed in Genesis chapter 10. And so the beginning of Luke chapter 10 is basically kind of like tipping the hand and saying, God has a global mission to seek and save the nations because these 72 disciples represent these 72 nations. It's a clear, clear connection. Because he is sending them out, 72 nations, 72 disciples, representing them. He is sending them out because God is pursuing them, because God wants to bring them in to make them a part of his family, right? This family is not going to be defined by ethnic diversity or ethnic divisions. It's going to be defined by people who know God and love him. Remember, Samaritan asks, or the, the lawyer asks, what does it mean? to be a child of God. And he says, to know God and to love other people like God. So the disciples go out, right? So just to continue the story, the disciples go out. They do exactly what Jesus said. Jesus says, go out, tell them, here's what's going on. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. They go out and they come back. And then they start kind of like uh, getting all excited about the, the war stories to Jesus, right? Jesus uh, you won't believe it, 
but demons ran away from us. <laughs> Jesus, you won't believe it. All these miracles happen. And Jesus is, uh, Jesus is not really impressed by their stories. If you look at chapter, uh, verse 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, right? That all, all these things happen, right? You're going, you're being sent out. God is on the move. It's a big deal. But don't rejoice in what you're seeing happen. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In the same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Right, so see, there aren't really any like mission details. Like you would think if Jesus is like, if this is kind of like the blueprint for how you're supposed to do missions, right? Go cast out demons, um, go preach the gospel, go plant churches. Um, you would think that Jesus would be kind of like, okay, great. You got, you got your fundraising done right, right? You got your name chosen. You got the church name, sweet church name right? Uh, you got, your, you got your, your small group set up correctly, right? Okay, great. And you, you got your, your mercy ministry set up right, right? You, you got it all set up, your worship team, they're hot, you guys are going. <laughs> like Jesus is not impressed by any of these things that they have gone and done. When they have gone and done all the mission stuff and they come back to Jesus, where does he draw their attention? You are known by God. <laughs> you are known by God. God has, God has sent you and to join his mission, but before you get to go and be a part of God's mission, you are an object of God's mission, right? Je- yeah, Jesus knows that you're busy with all the mission and ministry stuff that you're doing, right? There's a lot to do for making up meals. There's a lot to do for organizing worship stuff. There's a lot that gets missed in organizing those things. There's a lot of things to be done, not only in just kind of organizing, but just our personal lives, right? Like, wake up, keep your pants on, go read your Bible and get to work. Like, I think that's a pretty, like, good job done, guys. Like, let's do it another day, you know? Jesus is drawing our attention amidst all of these things to do that you are known by God. That God has seen you, right? It's not just a general, like, hey, God knows you, but like, verse 20, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Your name, your name, your zip code, your social security number, all that stuff behind it to make sure that you got the right person. <laughs> but your name, God knows you, right? Before, before we get into all the kind of stuff to do, right? There's a lot of stuff to do. If you guys have been around the church plant long enough, you know, there's a lot of stuff to do. There's not a lot of hands to do it. And we've got to keep doing it for a long time in the same direction. It's a lot of stuff to do. Jesus knows that, right? He just sent them out on this mission. Like, there's a lot of stuff to go do to go reach the nations with the mission of God. But listen, let's not get all kind of hung up on all the, the... There are cool stories from the church plant, right? We've seen some pretty cool stuff that's gone on. God's worked in people's lives. He's working in your lives. He's working in the lives of people around us. That's cool. But amidst all of that, Jesus draws their attention... You are known by God. 
And I think amidst, I, th- I think the reason that he does this, because if you, if you, if you like, uh, if you've been around a church, any church long enough, sometimes they'll start talking about like the good old days. Or if you get in like any sort of like uh, theological camp long enough, they'll be like, well, the revival that happened back in such and such a time, right? God does great things through these incredible waves of the spirit or moves of the spirit or mission work that happens. I mean, I thank God, Michelle's grand, Michelle's great grandmothers on both of her sides were saved during the Welsh revival. Like if you know anything about the Welsh revival, it was a huge thing that happened. It was a, it turned into a global phenomenon, right? But just like those revivals and this mission work that Jesus has sent them on, our memories begin to fade, right? We begin to kind of like look to the past and can't, can't like, was it Jimmy or Tom who did such and such? And then was it so-and-so and so-and-so got, who got healed and how did they get saved? Or like our, our memories begin to fade. Like we can't, we can't trust our memories of the stories of the past, even though they're really cool stories. But we will always have God looking at us and with us and knowing us. Right? The stories are cool. God remains. The stories will strengthen our faith. They'll bolster our faith. They'll sometimes become a distraction to our faith. But God will never, never distract us away from God. <laughs> God is always the object of our affection and love when he has saved us. Right, this is the mission of God is to draw us into this relationship with himself. Did you notice that there at the, um, in chapter 7, verse 17 through, or sorry, 21 through 22? The, the, the term father is used five times. Like God is drawing us into this relationship with himself to know him and delight in him and to know who he is, to see who he is, right? The, this is the first time in all of this book that really God is using and applying the terms, you are now my sons and daughters in a binding family relationship forever. It's the first time that God is saying, you are now my sons and daughters. You will be, you, like, I'm not going to forget my children's names. Are you going to forget your children's names if you had kids? Like if you, if you want to have kids, are you like already planning what you're going to name them? God knows our names as a father knows us. And before we get into the details of like what the mission looks like, we are supposed to delight in knowing God. Right? We are, we have, before we get into being partners and joining God's mission, we must recognize that we are first objects of God's mission. Right? Because we weren't, we weren't born this way, right? <laughs> To reverse Lady Gaga's quote, born this way. We weren't born this way. We weren't born loving God. We weren't born wanting God. We weren't born needing God or, or knowing our need of God. We were born uh, giving God the big fist right in the face and walking away from him forever. But the father and his mission to pursue the nations, people in New Hampshire, <laughs> we're, the far, we're pretty far reaches of the world, right? From... Jerusalem being way out there. Uh, I'm not sure we could probably look and Google how many miles it is. But God has sent his mission so successfully that you are in this room and hearing of Jesus, singing to Jesus, loving Jesus. God's mission is being successful. And before we get into the details of how we join that, we are objects of his mission. 
So let's turn now to the rest of the story, right? Jesus responds to this guy. So we're going to pick up in verse 29. We're going to look at delighting and giving mercy, right? So we have talked about delighting and knowing God. The first part of God's mission to us is that we delight in him rather than be a part, than start doing stuff. And now we want to talk about what does it mean to delight in giving mercy. So Jay read this for us, and I'm going to kind of give us a bit of like a blue-collar rendition of this, this parable. But verse 29, but he, that's the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? And remember, I, I, I made this analogy when we were preaching through this on the Ten Commandments. But what happens is basically you've got your uh, Trump supporter who's walking down the street towards his uh, political rally. And he gets uh, jumped and mugged and left on the side of the street for dead. And uh, the president of the Republican Party walks by and goes on the other side of the street and won't help him. The president of the Democratic Party walks by, sees him, won't stop and help him. And then you get the guy with the Feel the Burn (laughs) t-shirt. As many of you would expect, right? Of course, it would be that guy. He walks up and helps him, pays for him to be helped, pays out of his own money to pay for this guy to get helped. Um, and he points to, Jesus points to him as well as it mean to fulfill the great commandment to love your neighbors yourself, right? That's the, that's the parable kind of, you can maybe debate, but that's the idea, right? You get the sense that Jesus, the picture that he draws for us is that the, that our neighbors, right? The man's trying to figure out who's our neighbors, right? People who look like me, who think like me, who dress like me, who go to the same stores as me. And Jesus' response is to say, effectively, he defines neighbor as those who are immediately placed in front of us by the good, sovereign hand of God. Those who are immediately placed in front of us by the good and sovereign hand of God. Right? What does it mean to love our neighbor as ourselves? We're talking through this parable. And as those who are immediately put in front of us by the good and sovereign hand of our Father. Right? It's not those people, um, it's not those people over there or in an online chat room, or on our Twitter feed, or on our Facebook page, that think and act like us. Our neighbors are the literal flesh and blood people who are literally, in the three-dimensional world, right next to us or in front of us. Right? It's, it's real simple. <laughs> but we, we've come up with a lot of ways to kind of like, our phones are great ways of I'm going to cultivate my friends who are just like me. I'm, it, it think just like me. have the same preferences as me. We like the same jokes as me. Now, I, I think those things are great. We do that. That's fine. But when it means to actually be like Jesus and be like God and love the people that he's called us to love, we have to define our neighbor as those who are immediately in front of us by God's good and sovereign hand. And so when Jesus says there in verse 37 he said which one of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers and the lawyer responds the one who showed him mercy and Jesus said to him you go and do likewise the call of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus is to give mercy to our neighbors to give mercy to those people that are immediately in front of us by God's good and sovereign hand. Not the people we want to be in front of us by God's good and sovereign hand. Not the people that would be easier to love if they were in front of us by God's good and sovereign hand. 
but the people who are immediately in front of us, actually in front of us, by his good and sovereign hand. And so when we talked about this when we were going through the book of Exodus, we say, what does it mean then to live in a world not only where people are violators of the Ten Commandments, but have been violated by the Ten Commandments? That's how we got to the question, the, the answer. That's how Jesus says mercy, right? Because it's a weird thing. Jesus says, look, here's what it means to fulfill the Ten Commandments that are all about don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't, you know, don't lie. And he turns that and says, now give mercy. Because Jesus is telling them a story about a guy who's been the victim of all of these Ten Commandments being violated, right? <laughs> this guy is a victim of somebody stealing his stuff, abusing his body, using their words to degrade him and to lie about him. He has been taken advantage of. And now Jesus says, that's your neighbor, right? The people around you or you yourself have been the victim of a world hell-bent on violating and desecrating God's law, which means that we are people who have had domineering, life-sucking authority over us or been the perpetrators of it. Our neighbors are the same way, right? Nobody loves to be at a job where they're demeaned all the time or to have an overbearing parent that domineers over them. You shall not murder, right? Apart from actually physically murdering, some, murdering somebody, um, saying unkind things, we'll say it lightly like that, in your car when they cut you off in traffic. I use that illustration a lot because I need help. Or the ways in which we get annoyed with other people who don't do things the way we would or think the way we would or dress the way we would or people who actually have violated us in significant ways and we would rather they were gone. Right? You shall not commit adultery. Right? How many times have we talked to people and they have, there is, in one way or another, adultery in their background, cheating, marriages breaking up, you go down the line, right? We, we could go down the line in all of these and say, this is the world we live in where people, our friends and we ourselves are people who have been victims of these laws being broken. And so Jesus' command, his example of fulfilling the Ten Commandments is to say, look at these people and give them mercy, <laughs> which means we've got to actually know our neighbors, right? We've got to actually go and know them, right? If you look at this story of the, of the, the, the Good Samaritan, Right? Now, by chance, a priest was going down the road, is verse 31, and when he, what did he do? When he saw him, he passed on the other side. Right? He saw the guy beaten and robbed. He saw him and passed on the other side. So, likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, and what did he do? When he saw him, what did he do? He saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he what? When he saw him, he had compassion. God's mission to the nations, Jesus' illustration of what that means, like the day-to-day, day-in and day-out, yes, go to the nations. What does it mean to know and love our neighbors? Are they seen? Are they known? Are you having compassion? 
on those that are immediately in front of you. You see, are you guys kind of picking up on what we're laying out here? The, the neighbor that Jesus has called us to love are the people immediately in front of you, right? The, na- the, the literal next door house, right? If you're in an apartment, the next floor up, next floor down, next apartment, next side to side, next lawn over. Jesus is saying, those people need compassion. <laughs> they live in a world that has left them for dead on the side of the road. Are you going to get to know them? Are you going to figure out what does it mean to show compassion to these people? Right? And they're not going to be the type of people that you'd want to show. Right? They aren't going to be like, you know what? I, here's what I, I really need somebody. I, I just, my yearning in life is for somebody to play PlayStation 4 with me. <laughs> Maybe that is. But they're going to be deeper needs, deeper ways to get to know them and mercy to be given. Right? They are going to be inconvenient. They're going to be draining. They're going to be exhausting. And Jesus says, yeah, just like you, <laughs> right? You and I, we are exhausting and draining people to be around. <laughs> if, if, you have been, if you have been in my car for the last 30 hours as we were driving back from Florida, you would know that I'm an exhausting, draining person to have to give mercy to. So you should pray for Michelle. She's the mercy person in our marriage, right? I'm trying. She's the one that's got the gift, right? We, we need mercy because we are exhausting and draining people, just like the people that God has called us to be neighbors to. <laughs> but God says that's the way the mission goes forward, right? Remember, this is a mission to the nations. And so how does that go? Do you know and love your neighbors? How does that go forward? Do you know and love them? And I think that one of the things, is two things that I want to say about this, and then we'll move on. This mercy is going to be the sort of thing, if you have been experiencing it, that is inexplainable, right? It just boggles the mind. I don't know if you guys remember Roca. This past summer, there was a house that burned down in the, in the city, and there was a family that attended Roca that died in the fire, right? Um, if you know the children that are involved with Roca, they require a lot of mercy, and the families require a lot of mercy. And so when the newspapers were writing about it and they were interviewing Jen Hebert, who leads Roca, they were kind of like, so what are you guys? Like, are you like an after-school program? No. <laughs> so are you guys like a church? No. <laughs> so are you, are you guys like a food pantry? No. So are you guys like a rec club where kids can come and play games? No. <laughs> Or just people who love Jesus and are giving mercy to our neighbors. And it, was just, it just couldn't, it just boggled the mind. Like they just couldn't, wait, so you're just doing this because Jesus has had mercy on you and so now you're having mercy on other people? Yeah, that's a simple equation, right? Mercy will prof- profoundly befuddle the people around us because the source of it is our own experience of needing God's mercy. I am such a horrible person that I could never save myself or make myself better without God's help. Actually, only with God's help, right? It's not kind of like God and Jacob do this re- reconstruction project on Jacob. Right? No. It's God who does the project, and I get to say, thank you. <laughs> That's my work in it. Second thing I want to say about mercy is that we have got to put our phones down. <laughs> I think one of the biggest ways that we will show mercy is that when we put our phones down, and get to know and love other people, it will be a profound statement about the priority that people have in our lives. 
We do not tweet mercy to our neighbors. We don't Facebook post mercy to our neighbors. Now we can certainly like share stuff to help our neighbors out, you know, go find me stuff, all that stuff. That's a way of showing mercy to our actual neighbors. But you have to actually have to know your neighbor to be able to share that stuff, right? But we do not tweet mercy <laughs> to our neighbors, right? God made us to be physical beings with actual words to go hang out with our neighbors and hug them and say, I'm so sorry. I do not know the answer for why this has happened in your life. But I'm going to pray for you if that's okay. And let me bring you a meal and let's watch a movie. To be mercy to other people, right? Like we're not trying to like give them like a little tract. We're actually just trying to give them presence and friendship. Tony Rinke in his little book that he just wrote, I recommend this book. It's 12 Ways Your Phone Is Changing You. He says, actually this is where I got this idea. Christians, the Christian's challenge is to love not in tweets and texts only, but even more in deeds and physical presence. I just I highly recommend this book because this is something that is going to keep us from actually showing mercy to the people around us. Our phones, I think, are one of the biggest stumbling blocks that we face today, and we chain them to our wrist. I think the gospel calls us to repent of idolizing our phones and go to love our neighbors. So, with that picture in mind, delighting in showing mercy, right? By the way, I'm not saying that to anybody in the room right now. <laughs> if you have your phone in your hand for your Bible. <laughs> I'm thinking like tomorrow or something like that. So just so you know, I'm not preaching at you right now. We're going to finish this story up, right? Chapter 10. So now we get to the end of chapter 10. We have gone from global mission work, right? We've gone from global mission work. Satan being cast out from heaven, delight that your name is written in the book of life, to this good Samaritan, right, story. And now we're going to end chapter 10 and verse 38 with the story of Mary and Martha. Now, if you know the story of Mary and Martha, this is going to sound very familiar to you, but I'm going to read the whole story for us, and we're going to make a few comments, and we'll close this up. Now, as they were on their way, right, so this is just after Jesus had this interaction with the, with the lawyer. As they were on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman called Martha welcomed her, him into her house. Martha throws the welcoming party. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Now, just to note, only God gets called Lord in the Bible. This is already Luke tipping his hand. This is not just any ordinary teacher. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. This is like such like a this is such a family thing that you would you could, you could feel this. It's like, "Mom, why is he <laughs> But the Lord answered her, "Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her." So here's Mary. If you want to take it like this, here's Mary fulfilling the first commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Mary is doing it. Martha, fulfilling the second commandment. Getting busy, serving other people. But the problem is that Martha has done the doing 
of ministry at the expense of the heart, right? She is doing all the stuff, but she's forgotten her first love, right? Mary has ultimately not lost sight of the mission. Here we are finishing this chapter on mission. We're kind of seeing how the Luke wrote this chapter is kind of the structure of like, what does it mean to join God's mission? And the structure ends on this note to say, to love God and to know him is at the heart of what God's mission is all about, right? John Piper has this great little line. He's got these great way of words. Mission exists where worship doesn't, right? The point of serving other people is so that we can love God and know him, right? We are not going to come up here and say, now everybody, I want you to go and serve your neighbors and get burnt out for Jesus because that's going to make God look really great. <laughs> Getting all crispy for Jesus is not a great way of saying, hey, Jesus is better than the rest of the world because everybody else is getting burnt out on the world too. At the heart of the gospel call, say love God and to know him and to delight in him and to sit at his feet and to treasure him alone. It's really simple, right? This last point is delighting in the simplicity of the mission, right? It is really simple. What does it mean to be a Christian? You don't do a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff's been done for you. And then you get to revel in it and go tell other people about it. That, it's really simple. Receive mercy from God. God, you have saved me from being a person that would love darkness and lock you out of my heart and my life for all eternity. And should I be left to myself, hell would be locked from the inside, not the outside, because God, I would never want you near me for all eternity. We have been saved by a God who has mercy on people like us to bring us near and have compassion on us. And not just like I have like, uh, hey, we're all kind of like buddies but he actually stamps our na- his name, last name, on our names, right? So it's no longer Jacob Young, social security number. It's Jacob Young, child of the living God. It is your name, child of the living God. That is the type of mercy he's had on us to now bring us, so when we sit around a table together and have a meal together, it's a family meal because we're all in the family of God. That's the, that's the mission of God, to know him and delight in him and to treasure him, right? Right, the, the, structure, the structure of Luke 10, right? Go out on mission. Lots of miracles. Isn't this great? They come back. Uh, listen, don't be all distracted by that. You're known by God, right? And then it's about mission. Go to your neighbor, right? But don't get distracted by that. Delight in having had received mercy, right? And then it's mission again, right? In the daily life. There's stuff to do. Diapers to be changed. Garbage to be taken out. Meals to be prepared. Clients to be helped. Money to be made. Cars to be repaired. Stuff to be done. God. Now don't forget. Refocus. To know God. To delight in him. (laughs) And to tell your neighbors and get to know them about the mercy that God has for them. One of the fascinating things about the story of the Good Samaritan is that there's actually no resolution as to justice being done. The people who offended him, who punched him, robbed him, Jesus does not offer like, uh, you know, here's the reason why that happened. He just 
what is the mercy that needs to be shown? The people in our lives, around us, we can't always give them an answer. But we can give them a satisfied heart in Jesus and a warm and comforting friendship to care for them. It's, it's really simple. <laughs> There's not a lot to it, which is why I think actually the next thing that comes in Luke chapter 11 is this whole thing on prayer, right? <laughs> God, if this seems out of your strength, out of your wits, or kind of like, how do I do this? Luke's your man. He's saying, you know what? Pray and know God's answers for you, for them. All right. Let's finish with this. I'm just going to recap. I'm going to say, God, we got it, okay? The mission of God is to satisfy your soul with God himself and only himself and not the to-do list of God. And he does that by showing you mercy. He shows you mercy in Jesus who takes the wrath and punishment that we deserve so that we can now become sons and daughters of the living God. And now, as God has pursued us, we now pursue our neighbors. That's the mission of God that we're invited into. It's, it's really simple, but at the heart of it, it changes our identity of who we are. Satisfied people, guys, what would God do? What is God doing? Right? I think he's already using you guys in this way. Hearts that are satisfied in the goodness of God telling our city and the areas around us, God has satisfied my soul. I'm a, I'm a horrible person <laughs> without any hope in this world. But God has satisfied me because he's that type of, he's good and merciful. And I just want to be your friend. I just want to be, be here to help you. I'll bring you meals, care for you. It seems like the structure of Luke chapter 10 is to say that sort of maybe blue-collar gospel sharing. That's the way God reaches the nations. And so I expect God to use us, church planting in the next five years, because he uses this way of loving and showing mercy to other people to extend his praise to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would satisfy us and delight our hearts and satisfy us with you. Before we get caught up in the mission of God and what it means to be a church plant, doing lots of things, God, I pray that you would satisfy us with you. Because you are good. You're merciful to us when we don't deserve it. You've been gracious to us when we've been stiff-necked. God, help us to delight in who you are and to be satisfied with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.